What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics that the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast. I have Todd Capone here with me today. Todd is the CEO and founder of Sales Melon and is also one of the most dynamic people, person, individual, former sales leader that I know on transparency, negotiation, and just crushing revenue in unique ways that most people don't even talk about. Todd, welcome to the show. Awesome to have you on, man. Dude, it is always a pleasure, my brother. Yeah, dude. It's it's been um, you know, I think I, I had a little little tear on my eye when I saw you because it's it's been that long since we've talked face to face. I think we talked over the phone and we even had lunch, like physically in person. I, I think that was probably one of the last physical in person lunches I've had in a long time. It, it was the first and the last I've had, dude. <laughs> it, it almost felt weird because like after you spent all this time you know, face to face with people, then all of a sudden you've got a six month window where you don't do it at all. Like that first one, it almost felt like, wait, what am I supposed to do here? Like, like, <laughs> elbow? like it was, it was strange, but then, yeah, I haven't had another one. Yeah. It's, that was weird. And then, um, what was I going to say? The, the, oh yeah. You know, and, and the funny thing was that well, I want, I want people to hear about you. So they're just like, what the hell is Brian bringing one of his buddies on the show about, you know? <laughs> um, but the thing was like, I think how we started talking is actually, you know, in, in essence of transparency, you're like, you know, Ryan, I appreciate some of the content you're, you're putting out there, but I really didn't like, I really didn't agree with what you said. You sent me a DM on, on uh, LinkedIn on that. And I'm like, first I was like, how do I respond to this? I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm open. Do you remember that at all or no? That was a while back. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what the hell I said, but it was something like, I don't agree with that, man. So, so anyways, well, that's um, awesome. so, <laughs> yeah. So can you give everybody a little bit of background about, about you, just a quick snapshot? Cause you, you got a real unique perspective in terms of how you came to where you, where you are at now and kind of what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I, it depends on how far you want me to go back, but I've always had this thing where something has intrigued me about behavioral science as it relates to sales. Like I'm a sales nerd core, you know, through and through. But I always saw that there is this opportunity to leverage behavioral and decision science, apply it to sales to help us like maximize our own revenue capacity. So I, I went through, I was a rep. I sold everything I had and bought a sales training company well before I should have uh, back in the early 2000s, ran that into the ground, but I learned so much. And when I came back into the tech world, I quickly got elevated to VP of sales uh, I've done, I've had seven different sales leadership uh, roles, uh, taken one company public, sold one company. I was part of the sales leadership team that uh, sold exact target to Salesforce for a little under 3 billion back in 2013. And uh, now I wrote a book that has done surprisingly well. It's won some awards. It's been on a bestseller list a couple of times. And now I just teach and speak on how to take behavioral and decision science and apply it to the sales world with an emphasis on transparency. Awesome, man. Yeah, I, I love the book. I got my copy sitting over there. It was autographed by you. So it's, uh, 
It's, I would like to say it's hanging up in my bedroom, but it's not. <laughs> Good. That would be weird. <laughs> like, that'd be creepy. That'd be really <laughs> creepy, Ryan. So, um, so, so walking through, man, why is, is behavioral science, like, talk about that, man, a little bit with negotiation. Like, how do you execute on that? How does that work? What does that look like? Well, here's the thing. So, um, you know, to give everybody kind of a snapshot of the transparency piece, uh, if they haven't heard this from me before, uh, my last role, I was the chief revenue officer of Chicago's Power Reviews. And as you may be familiar, or you can guess from the name, what they do is they help retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their websites. Mm -hmm. So you're buying a pair of shoes on crocs.com. You look at the reviews. That was us. That was helping with, helping with the collect and display. What really triggered this is that we had done a study with Northwestern University that looked at consumer behavior when a website is acting as a salesperson. So mm -hmm. you're left to your own devices. What do you do when you're buying something online that is of at least medium to high consideration? Not like a pack of gum, but a pair of shoes to a TV to a refrigerator or whatever. Uh, what, what do you do? And it turns out we all read reviews, which makes sense. But the two things that jumped out at me that I wanted to dig into further is why is it that 82% of us go to the negative reviews first? Like, mm -hmm. why do we skip the five stars and go right to the fours, threes, twos, and ones? And why is it that a product that has nothing but perfect five, you know, five star reviews doesn't sell as well as a product that has negative reviews next to it? Like, you know, there's this company called Amazon that you may have heard of that has done pretty well. And they were the ones that started this in 1995 of listing negative reviews right under their own products on their own website. And they started selling more. And so I had to go, all right, that's when a website's acting as a salesperson. Does that actually apply to human to human B2B sales and why? And that was when I really uncovered this whole treasure trove of understanding our brain's drive and desire to predict and that our brain subconsciously knows that perfection isn't reality. And until it can get that balance of, hey, is the juice gonna be worth the squeeze? And if, if I don't know what the squeeze is, then the, all the stuff you're telling me about how great the juice is, is going to go on deaf ears mm -hmm. and that I need to be able to predict, which is why we go to the negative first and go, before I invest and get too excited about this, I want to know what could go wrong or what I'm not going to like, or like, so that I can balance this whole thing. And we started applying that to the B2B world and magic happened, right? Sales cycle sped up, win rates went up. We qualified deals in faster that we should win. But more importantly, we lost faster for the deals we were going to lose anyway. So we could spend more time on the opportunities that we should be focused on. And in classic M&M eight mile style, we made it really hard on our competitors to compete against us because when you lead with, hey, here's something that you might not love about us or something that doesn't quite align or something our competitor has that we don't, when you lead with that, your competitor is left with nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And so you build trust. You speed sales cycles, you help the brain predict. And as a result, you know, your results go up dramatically. We found that and I was like, I got to get these ideas out. So I wrote a book. And ever since then, so that that's kind of like the baseline. The behavioral science thing though, like I've got books all around me, but I don't read current sales books anymore. Every day I read behavioral science research because I'm that level nerd. Um, I've got a subscription to something that, you go every day? Every, every single day, I at least read behavioral science research. I've got 
I've got a subscription to something called Deep Dive and Dive is D-Y-V-E that gives me access to 300 plus research journals. And so like I, I get every issue of, you know, the Journal of Behavioral Sciences and like all of those things. And when a new edition comes out, like every day I'm reading one of the studies, most of the time it's so nerdy, I don't know what it's talking about, but I, I'm able to read it with the frame of sales and sales leadership and pull out different nuggets that have taught me so much that I did wrong that can be easily applied to the sales world. And every day I'm coming up with like, you'll, you'll see on LinkedIn, I'm always sharing research nonsense, but I'm finding at least something every week that I think matters and that I want to share and I think can really be helpful to the sales profession. You see, like, I love your, uh, your self-diagnosis of, of nerdery to the level that you, that you take that at. So I, I appreciate that. I appreciate self, the deprecation, self-deprecation, but like, so how much time that, that just shows your commitment to your craft, man, which is awesome. Uh, which is why I have so much respect for you. How much time do you spend daily? Then is it like an hour or half hour or 15 yeah, minutes? It, it depends on how interesting it is. Um, there's some days where I get completely off the rails, um, like Friday, for example. I saw there was a post by somebody on LinkedIn that talked about the fallacy or the um, capture, like gaining and capturing somebody's attention. And it compared it. There was a study that came out, quote unquote study, that said that our attention spans are shrinking mm -hmm. and that they are now a goldfish has a longer attention span than a human being. Oh, yeah. And I was looking at that and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that study. And I, I used to give keynotes where I would share that stat that human attention span is eight seconds and a goldfish is nine seconds. But I was like, you know, from all those studying I've been doing, I think that's BS. And so all of a sudden, like I'm trying to work on a proposal, but this thing is stuck in my head. It just won't get out. And I'm like, all right. And so I went into deep dive. I found research articles on attention and how it works. I ended up spending like three hours in the research, just completely like drooling like a weirdo reading this stuff and finding that that study is BS. Our attention spans are not shrinking. Um, goldfish, the attention of a uh, span of a goldfish has never actually been clinically measured. So the next time you hear somebody make that comparison, like whoever made up the, like said nine seconds for gold, that's crap. Like that was never actually measured. Um, and and the, the bottom line here is that our attention is not a spotlight. A human being, when it's paying attention, it's not like a spotlight, it's more like a strobe light. And that our, our brain's attention span is actually in the milliseconds. That we are constantly in a state of trying to pay attention, but prioritizing what we pay attention to. Like right now, Ryan, if you, in your room, you're paying attention to me, you're listening, you're thinking, but if a snake came into your room right now, mm -hmm. subconsciously, you would flee without even thinking about it, right? Because your brain is making judgments on its complete surrounding while yeah. visually you're paying attention to one thing. Goldfish don't have, like, I mean, so like that's the kind of thing that uh, when I really get into something, I will spend a couple hours on it. Um, but sometimes I'll just read a study. Like last night, um, trying to remember which study, or a couple of nights ago, I, I read uh, one that had to do with Japanese parenting styles. Now, why on earth would, would somebody <laughs> like me read that? Well, I read it from the framework of thinking about how does this apply to sales leadership? Mm -hmm. And it was studying uh, whether or not when a parent is a disciplinarian versus totally lax versus in the middle, 
what impact that has on children. And am I able to take elements of that and think about it in the lens of sales leadership when you're a highly disciplined sales leader versus a, hey, go do what you want. I'm here to, to support you and be your buddy. And what happens? I'm still drawing the lines, but that's the kind of stuff that I read. That's cool, man. Yeah, I, I was doing something similar. Uh, I, I'm reading a book called Personality Isn't Permanent by Ben Hardy. Have you heard of that at all or no? No, I haven't. You might like it because it, it goes into a lot of the psychological underpinnings of why people do what they do and how, you know, there's all these personality assessment tests and like um, Meyer Briggs was yeah. actually, uh, the personality test was created by um, a woman who had no background history or training in, in psychology related to personalities. She just did it based on observation. And, and so it was really interesting which, which is, it's, it's kind of like your goldfish thing, man. I've seen that stat so many times. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've used the damn stat a couple of times. So yeah. it's going to get erased. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the one that people throw out sarcastically, like, like um, it's like, stop focusing all your time, multitasking, don't focus on the internet. And then it's like Abraham Lincoln is the quote, right? Oh, right. Exactly. That's right. Like everything you read on the internet is not true. Quoted by Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's such a great point though. It's there's so much, it's so easy to come up with false information. Like that attention span study, the first place it was quoted was by Microsoft. Now, it's not a research journal, it's not a sanctioned medical, like it's Microsoft. They, I think they just made it up. Like, I don't know where this stuff comes from, but when you really dig into it, I mean, I've got studies piled around me right now. I think you and I talked a few weeks ago about that new study that talked about the value of sharing your price early mm-hmm. and how traditionally we had all been taught that salespeople should hold the price, right? Until we've established enough value. And uh, the study shows that when we actually lead with the price and at least frame it up for a customer early in the sales cycle, that magic happens, right? And so there's there's like studies like that all over the place where there's you know, multiple university professors that are creating these sanctioned environments where they can truly study this stuff. And until we get that, I, the, the sightings that I see, oftentimes my BS detector goes off and I'm like, you know what, before I do anything, I want to really tie this one back and make sure that I understand it before I share anything like that again. So, so let's take it to the next, and I'm going to throw some of the stuff I was going to talk about out the window because we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're digressing, but I want to make sure everybody listening to this gets, has the juice that's worth the squeeze by listening to this, right? So what would you say with what you're talking about in terms of leveraging behavioral science, what are some of the outcomes that it has produced for companies? You don't need to name the companies, but if you could talk about some of the exact outcomes it's produced in terms of measuring increased revenue or results. Well, yeah. So um, one of my clients, and I, I hope it's all right that I mentioned it, it's Malwarebytes. Um, Malwarebytes is an antivirus technology company, right? Mm-hmm. You know how many companies are in their space that basically have the same messaging? Like if you go to them and then you go to their competitors, there's 56. As a matter of fact, there was a, um, a analyst firm that did a study on the 56 companies in the antivirus and like malware prevention space. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of things to think about. How do you differentiate when everybody sounds the same? But there's actually a pillar of differentiation that's available to you and it's differentiating in the way you sell. 
Mm-hmm. And so there was a study that just came out uh, probably two months ago that I shared wildly because I'm like, I'm like a proud parent. But this study, this analyst firm studied uh, the perceptions in the market around things like transparency and honesty and you know, all of those elements that go into the intangibles in a sales organization. Turns out out of the 56, Malwarebytes finished in the top three in every category and finished in the top one, number one in all of the things that I taught them, right? Which is things like transparency and honesty and price transparency and uh, like, you know, just all of those things. That's why Malwarebytes is winning. Because when you can't differentiate, when you're in a commodity space, there is an opportunity for you to differentiate in the way you sell. Now, I've also, I've taught negotiation to them. Uh, they claim that uh, this idea of transparent negotiation has resulted in a seven-figure um, revenue impact in six months, and they reduced their discounting by 24% almost immediately. And so it's just, it's things like that, that when we embrace transparency and we lead with the kind of this unexpected honesty, I'm telling you, magic happens. Now, a lot of the other companies that uh, when we really layer in this behavioral science and understanding the impact of friction on a buying journey and understanding that consensus selling is hard, but consensus buying is harder and it's gotten infinitely harder when all of your buyers are remote. And for us to be able to have clinical empathy for the buyers that we are dealing with, your results are you work the deals that you should be working, you win them faster, you win them more often, right? So there's across the board, the results are evident highly when you just think about, you know, if we could read the minds of buyers, like, like wouldn't that be helpful? That's what we're doing. We're using these techniques for good, not evil. Yeah. So that's, I mean, those are some impressive results, man. So when you're talking seven figures increase and then reduced discounting by, I thought you said 24%. Yeah. Slap me on my thumb off a few percentage points. No, that's right. That's but, it. Um, so like on what revenue number was that off of? So seven figures, million dollar impact. Um, yeah, I, think, I mean, they're a privately held company, so I don't want to go too far. Okay, uh, but, like they're, they're in the, they're in the um, nine figures of a company size. So, okay, yeah. cool. So that, I mean, that's, that's obviously amazing. So, so let's get a little more tactical, right? So I'm, you know, trying to sell my services to SalesMelon, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that I want to increase your revenue exponentially by doing X, Y, Z. How how would you approach it from a behavioral science perspective and execute on that so that I can make that a reality? All right. So first thing is behavioral science wise, I want everybody to understand that, like, listen up. Logic is polarizing. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's December of 2020. We just spent six months of our lives reading and watching and driving down the street, looking at political ads and political billboards and all kinds of stuff that tell us very logically, this is what like you should be thinking. And the, the other side is going, this is what you should believe. Like, and it's very, yes, it's all logic, 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 logic. Now, what ends up happening in our brains is that if we're already leaning one way, so I'm either, hey, you know what, what Ryan's selling, I like, or 
what Ryan's selling, I don't know about this, it's probably BS. That data, that ROI data, the logic data goes into our brain and our brain processes it by saying, yeah, I'm going to use that to support my feeling that I love Ryan and what he's selling. Or that same piece of data comes in and I'm going to use it to go, hey, you know what? This is why it's BS. And now I'm actually stronger and firmer in my belief that I don't like what he's selling. And so the more logic we throw in, the more we actually polarize people. So when we lead with ROI, we lead with data, we lead with awards we've won. We even lead with our NASCAR slide. The NASCAR slide, which is the logo slide, is incredibly polarizing. And I wish people could understand what it's doing to the buying brand. I, I'll, I'll, let me rant on this for a second because I, I think it's important. Imagine that I walk in um, to a group and there's a group that I'm selling to and there's 10 people in the room. And five of them, without me knowing it, are liking me already when I walk in. And five are not, or are unsure, or would rather prioritize something else. Let's say I put up a logo slide that's got all of these impressive companies on it, right? You know, Apple, Amazon, Dell, Harley Davidson, like this whole thing. The five people that are for me, that are with me, are looking at that and going, wow, that's, that's impressive. You know what? If, if he's good enough for them, he's good enough for us. I'm going to use this. However, the five people that are against you, they're looking at that same slide, that slide you are so proud of, the very logical slide, and they're looking at it and going, wow, those are some big companies. Man, we're going to be a small fish in a big sea here. Gosh, we're going to get lost. And then a couple other people are looking at it that are also in that five going, man, I see Harley Davidson and Apple and are they generalists? Like they don't even know our industry. Gosh, I don't see anybody that looks like us. Yep. So your logic is actually driving the consensus purchaser, the contentious buyers in that group to their corners instead of together. And ROI does the exact same thing. When we lead with, Ryan, listen, I, gosh, I just look at this list of companies that I've helped, that I've saved uh, them a million dollars and them 24% and like all that stuff. If, if I lead that and I have not built up that emotional capital to where that person is leaning my way, that ROI could actually be driving them to their corners and doing you damage. So that's why, you know, spend the time to learn to tell stories um, where instead of the story being about how great you are, if you can frame it to where you can tell a story about how great your customer can be, mm -hmm. where you lead with them, you teach them, you back it up with the emotion, the award, the, like the reward that waits in the logic that justifies the opinion that you're just sharing and then lead to how you would actually address that. You just flip that. You know, tell a story with your customer being the hero in the middle of it and then take the ROI, take your NASCAR slide, take all your logic and put it to the end instead of the beginning. If you just flip that script, I mean, that's where you start to see customers that are drawn to you. That's where you start to see this idea that Emotion is binding. There was a study that was done where they took 12 people, they put them in a room and they played the movie, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, the old Clint Eastwood movie. Mm -hmm. And they had a, um, a fMRI machines on all 12 people, which is this functional magnetic resonance imaging machines that are studying the brain waves of people. And what they found is their brains, all 12 of them while they're watching the movie looked almost exactly the same and during the highly emotional points, it was 12 exact replicas. 
that's what you're trying to do in a consensus purchase environment, right? When you're going in and you're talking to people, if you can tell a story, you're more likely to get those people bound together versus if you're leading with ROI or data or facts, you're literally driving them to your, their corners. So how do you do that for the listener? How do you, how do you build in the, uh, the Todd C emotional binding mechanism wrapper? I'm well, gonna... yeah, I mean, this, we, I think we've talked about this one before, but like it's, it sounds so crazy to think about um, reality makeover TV shows, mm-hmm. but like go uh, watch Netflix and pop on Queer Eye and just like go, grab a box of Kleenex. Cause like the first couple episodes will get you. Uh, it's like, you'll be crying. Like I watch those in the name of research. Um, but you know, just think about a, a show like Queer Eye or like Restaurant Impossible or like The Biggest Loser or Extreme Makeover Home Edition. They all follow this choreography where that individual that they're going to help has volunteered, right? They didn't just barge in and go, wow, you're fat or you're ugly or your house is a disaster, right? In every case, those people volunteered, which is exactly like your customers, right? Your customers are volunteering their time to talk to you. Otherwise, they would have hung up. Otherwise, they wouldn't have answered. Otherwise, they wouldn't have scheduled in their calendar. So you're aligned so far, right? Understanding why they're investing that time in you. So getting aligned around, like, why, gosh, there's a million things you could be doing. Why are you spending time with me? Right? Like, what was it about what I said that made you want to spend a half an hour talking to that? You get a line there and then you be ready to teach. In the Queer Eye example, there's a, the first episode is this guy, Tom Jackson, who volunteered to be on the show. He's a kind of a disheveled older guy. He's been divorced three times. And they, you know, they go in and they align. Like, hey, Tom, why are we here? What's going on? It's just like, yeah, I'm miserable. I'm living in this squalor. Um, I, I'm lonely. And like, I would love to get to a point where I could find a mate. And specifically, my second uh, ex-wife, like, I, I still really like her. Like, oh, all right. So now they're aligned, just like in your presentations. Like, why are we here? What are you trying to accomplish? Okay, cool. What, what's keeping you from getting there? Like, what, what's holding you back? And Tom shares a couple of things, right? Mm-hmm. And then what do they do? They switch into teaching mode. It's like, hey, Tom, you didn't, you didn't mention a couple of things that, like, we can see. You know, you're... you're Every day you come home from work and you drink a redneck margarita while you sit on the porch smoking a cigarette, looking at your lazy boy that's got flies buzzing around on it, um, right? And redneck margarita is, by the way, it's tequila and Mountain Dew. Oh, so, I didn't know that. It's, uh, we'll, we'll have to have one of those someday. Never... <laughs> no thanks. And, uh, and like they're looking around and they're like, hey, Tom, you could look better, but you've got rosacea. Your skin's red. And you're not using anything for it, but all your clothes are red, which is making it look bright. It makes it look terrible. You just change the color of your clothes and put on some skin cream. And like, there's some things like that. Your toenails are so long. It looks like you could climb a tree. Like you got to take care of yourself. Like it's, and, and so basically these guys become consultants because they're the experts and they lead Tom to like, they've built credibility. They've taught him some things right out of the gate. And now Tom is looking at his own life going, wow, what my problems were are small. There's a couple of bigger ones I didn't even realize. Wow, this is even more urgent that I do something. And the credibility is built. And then these guys, they lead to like, hey, Tom, here's what we're going to do. You know, we're going to start with your wardrobe. We're going to get you a haircut. We're going to get you the skin cream. We're going to clean your apartment out here. And you know what? 
we're going to teach you a way to make a really easy margarita that you're going to love. And Tom is just like, ah, I love you. Yes, I'm all in. And like, that's what you want in your sales presentations, right? Now, imagine if in those reality makeover TV shows, they started with, hey, the, um, listen, Tom, um, the five of us are, uh, look at how many people we've helped. And this person, they made a million dollars after us, like coming in and helping them. And look at this person married and has three children. That would be the boringest show on the planet. Mm -hmm. And yet we are doing that every day in our presentations. Make your customer the hero. Start with their status quo or where they are today and get aligned around why they're investing time with you, what they're trying to achieve and what's holding them back. And then teach them, teach them how their status quo is no longer sustainable and lead to what you do instead of leading with it and mm -hmm. leave the ROI and the data for the back. You just flip your slides in that order. And I'm telling you overnight, you will see higher engagement. And if you do it right, you're the hero in your story, your customers that you're trying to present to, they'll be compelled to action and compelled to action with you because you have just come across as a consultant instead of a salesperson. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen all those situations and components of those in different deals I participated in. I remember adverse reactions to the NASCAR slide. I remember everything that you're talking about. And then the ones that have have gone the, the best are just like, hey, you know, what do you need help with? Why are we talking? And and then align with that and educate. Yeah. And then if, if and educate, like yeah, throw a couple more things on the list, right? Like, hey, here's, we work with companies like yours. You didn't mention these two things, but we see that all the time. Are those issues in your organization? Oh yeah? Oh, like, oh, you didn't think that could even be fixed? I'm, I'm teaching uh, tomorrow morning, I'm doing a, a big workshop for a big consulting firm. Um, and the consulting firm, the, their, their choreography is literally, this is why we're awesome. Hey, did we mention we're awesome? Hey, we're awesome. Like they've got all of the traditional things where it's like our mission statement. And then um, our awards. And it's like, hey, we were 2018's firm of the year. And I'm like, who won it in 2019? Because maybe I should be talking to them. Um, <laughs> but then like they're, they're a map of their locations. Like, hey, we got an office in Singapore. I know you don't, but we think it's cool. And I'm like, you guys are a consulting firm. Like you got to stop. Their NASCAR slide, they use for every single target and it's got Walmart on it, right? And I'm like, so you're going into a small bank and you're showing Walmart. Like the, there might be a couple of people that think that's cool, but most people are going to be like, Walmart, we're a bank, right? And so I'm, I, I, when I first just kind of posed this subject to them, they're like, gosh, we're a consulting firm. You're right. Like, gosh, we could easily switch the order of this and actually come across as a consulting firm when we present. And so they can't wait for this, right? But as a salesperson, your, your role in life is to Sherpa the buyer to making really smart decisions as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And even if that decision is not to go with you. And yeah. if all we're doing is throwing up stats and ROI, you're polarizing them into their corners. Tell a story, be a consultant and choreograph your presentations like a reality makeover TV star, which I know is so counterintuitive. And you're going to find that you actually draw people in more effectively. Love it, man. All right, we're going to do a quick rapid fire because we're, we're almost up on time. So I'm going to ask you three areas. And I, I didn't prep you on this at all. So no, I know. I'm, I'm nervous. You're gonna, yeah, that's what, you know, every day you get a little trick up your sleeve every now and then. So this is behavioral science, right? Or transparency. So 
if you're working with a customer and I'm, I'm talking rapid fire, so, you know, not, not a, a super long answer, but right. um, I don't know if I'm capable, but I'll try. Okay. Step number one, how do you leverage that to get more customers to grow your business? How do you leverage what transparency or behavioral set? The number one way you would leverage that to grow your business. Yeah. Stop presenting uh, yourself as a perfect five O right. Okay. Like lead with transparency. That information is out there. The behavioral science says transparency sells better than perfection. The proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything we do by an experience means you have to do it anyway. And that's B2B and B2C. Embrace that now you have to. Okay. I love that. Um, how would you use you know, transparency or behavioral science to increase the frequency in which people bought from you? Um, all right. I, I don't know if I'm capable of a short answer here, but um, by setting proper expectations in meeting them, you are the brain, the behavioral science tells us that that is more likely to get customers to stay, buy more and advocate on your behalf. There are companies out there that do not create the greatest customer experience, but they set proper expectations and meet them every single time that win and win constantly. Think Ikea, think Costco. Costco, like you got to buy 10 toothbrushes instead of one. You got to buy a gallon of freaking ranch dressing. You can't buy just a little bit, right? They throw your stuff on a conveyor belt. They check your receipt on the way out to make sure you're not stealing something. And they're the fourth largest retailer in the US consistently because you know what you're getting when you walk in there and they are consistently delivering on it. Think the soup Nazi on Seinfeld, right? People walk you know, down the street to go get yelled at by this guy and they love it, right? So set proper expectations and you do that through transparency, whether those expectations are pro or con, if you meet them consistently, you will have customers that keep coming back. Excellent, okay, one more. This is last but not least. And, and I appreciate being short. You could have gone for like 20 minutes. On oh, that dude, one. that one, yeah. I could have gone a half an hour on that one. Um, last one is how would you leverage you know, behavior science or transparency to expand the revenue per customer. And I know there's a little overlap from last one, but expand, you know, expand the amount that they spend with you. Um, all right. So when you're doing like, like a lot of companies that have existing relationships with customers and they do regular check-ins with them, make your customer the hero. You are not the hero of their success ever. And what I mean by that is when I was CRO, I had a client success organization. We would do something called qu quarterly business reviews with mm -hmm. customers. And we were like our ten tendency to be like, hey, look at the success you had. Aren't we awesome? You got to renew, right? Well, we changed the framework of that, changed it, just flipped it and said, hey, here's the data around the successes that you've had. I, it's amazing what you've done. And we're just the technology. Like you have make your customer the hero in the story of their successes with you. Mm -hmm. And that feeling will like, you know, we're drawn to recognition, validation, status. If you can check that box, that's number one. And then number two is during all of those check-ins, always address the elephant in the room first. If there's been an issue, there's been a service problem, whatever it happens to be, Mm -hmm. Just lead with, hey, I know we had this issue. Our side, it looks like we've taken care of it, but how do you feel? How did we do? Always address the elephant in the room and then make your customers the heroes. And I'm telling you, they will stay 
they will buy more and they will more likely advocate on your behalf. That's awesome. I got, and I got a follow-up question for that. All right. This isn't a question, but just an add-on. So what do you think about having customers rate you in those, in those reviews? Do you, like on a scale of one to five, like yes, no. What, what's your thoughts on that? All right. So um, first of all, the worst thing you can do is that after a service call, after an issue that a customer's had, to send them a, a follow-up right afterwards that says, how did we do? Now, I know that's counterintuitive. And I know that's how most companies do it. That's stupid. And here's why. You I'm are actually- QBR, The QBR is what I'm thinking, not after that. Well, I'm actually, I'm oh, okay. thinking in general. I keep seeing like, I had an issue with Starbucks where um, I got my wife a, um, I, I think it was a white chocolate mocha and they made it with dark chocolate. And like, she doesn't like that as much. So I pinged at Starbucks and I was like, hey, we got this thing home. It was dark chocolate. It's like $5 and 25 cent drink. Like, you know, it would have been, I can't drive all the way back over there now. And they took care of it. But then they send me a survey uh, like two hours later. Like, how did we do? What you're doing is actually reminding me and getting it into my long-term memory that I had a problem, right? You should be asking the question after good experiences, reinforce the good, like if, if something like you walked in and everything went great, send a survey after that. Like that's number one. I used to get the surveys after um, every time I took a flight with United Airlines. And I'm like, why am I filling this out? Nobody's going to see it except some dude in a cube somewhere, right? That's like, you know, some intern, like, oh, that part, like, who cares? It, there's, there's only value in that sort of thing if you've got a commitment to doing something with it. So what's your score? Like, if you're going to put it on your website and go, hey, look how great we are. Customers don't care to participate in that process unless they love you. So I think if you're going to pull that type of feedback in, either commit to doing something about it or use it as an opportunity to, you know, to share it so that other customers can make good decisions, especially with those companies that want to see you be successful and truly believe in what they're, you know, that they're feelings for you. Perfect, man. Awesome. I love that. So where can people find you? Where, where can they get a little more Todd C? Yeah, it's hard not to find me, uh, but it's, yeah, Todd Capone, just there's this thing called Google, just, uh, but in all seriousness, um, transparencysale.com has got a lot of information. On the homepage, I list out like the top 15 articles that people seem to love. So just free stuff, free videos. I got a blog on there that I'm always sharing stuff. You can obviously get the book, The Transparency Sale, anywhere books are sold. And uh, yeah, I'm on, oh, I'm on, um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on all that. But I'm also, we didn't talk about this. I'm also a sales history nerd. Uh, and yeah. so if you're, if you're feeling crazy, um, follow me at sales historian on either Twitter or Instagram. I post a daily quote from sales history on both of those every weekday. Sales. Okay. Wow. I got to check that out. That's uh, it's going to be a, it's got to be a treasure trove of history on there. I, I didn't even know that was, I didn't even know that was out there. Yeah. I just, I started doing about a, what, three or four weeks ago. I love it. I don't have a ton of followers on it, but I needed an outlet for this, like these gems from the early 20th century that are just amazing. Awesome, man. Well, it was great having you on. A pleasure as always. You know, I go, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, uh, but appreciate you coming on, man. And it was great to see you again. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me as always. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time 
is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.